change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podsky Wee I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, lots of stuff to talk about. We got some Cat signing news to bring everybody. We've got some fun talking about the possibility of single game sports betting being legal in Canada. There's just there's just a lot of news to cover. But first we gotta do some fun stuff. And it's one of my favorite things is when two of our most beloved entertainment options sort of come together. And that is the world of the Canadian Football League and the world of professional wrestling. And I think it was the day we recorded last, that afternoon, in a, uh, I think it was a flag football game in Florida. Doug Flutie, the great Doug Flutie, won the WWE 24-7 championship. I, my phone blew up when this happened because I didn't see it. I, I, there, I, I think it was like televised on ESPN or something, and I, like, I don't think it was on in Canada. But the, it hit social media, and all of a sudden my phone blows up. Doug Flutie won a champion, a WWE championship. I'm like, what? Look it up, and it's you know, it's, it's only the 24-7 championship. So for those who don't know, that's kind of like a joke championship. It's not like anything important. It's, uh, it's something that they have for like a little comedy sketch on the show. But Doug Flutie winning it just brings these two worlds together. The CFL and WWE seem to come together quite a bit. I could We could go through the laundry list of – current professional wrestlers, ex-professional wrestlers who have CFL ties. It's, it's very, very long. But uh, this, was, this was just a fun little thing, and I just love that uh, Doug Flutie now goes down as a, as a former champion in WWE. That just uh, that tickles me. What did you think when you first saw the news? Yeah, it was pretty humorous. You know, he's a champion in the CFL and a, a champion in the WWE now, but uh, unfortunately I think it was just a transitional champion. Josh, oh, it was very, very short-lived. Very short-lived reign, unfortunately. <laughs> Who'd he take it from, R-Truth? Yeah, he, be, he beat Truth, and then Truth beat him right back like 30 seconds later. Uh, yeah, the roll-up by uh, Flutie wasn't, didn't look that great. But, no, uh, it was, it was, it was kind of sloppy. Train. It was kind of sloppy. Yeah, I guess he's not a trained professional wrestler, but it's kind of ironic because I believe that uh, when when uh, The Rock was with the Stampeders, he'd be watching, I don't know where I read this, but somewhere, he'd be watching wrestling you know, in the locker room, and Flutie would tell him to you know cut cut it out and pay attention. Is football not wrestling? And then he ends up being a, a wrestling champion. So that's uh, that's pretty funny. Well, I think that's one time that someone would be happy they didn't take Doug Flutie's advice. Advice. Yes. I think I think The yeah. Rock's done pretty pretty good for himself outside of the Canadian Football League. Uh, I remember we talked about. I think the last time we talked about wrestling was when James Wilder Jr. got that tryout with WWE. And I just always think every time this this happens, these these two entities collide for us. I just think of like who would be like modern CFL players would would work in in the world of wrestling. And the first, I, I'm sure we talked about this when when Wilder signed too. 
the first guy that comes to my mind is Simone Lawrence. Like the the things that he could do on the stick. Like he's obviously mm-hmm. a jacked human being, but could you imagine him cutting promos? Like I th- I think that would be hilarious. I mean, he does it now, quite frankly. Yeah. Like when he when he's trash talking, but I, I just think that of all the guys that I can think of that currently play in the CFL, I don't think anyone would be better suited for the world of WWE than Simone Lawrence. Well, I think that uh, he'd be better off in AEW, Josh, because you know <laughs> in the WWE. They'd, they'd give him a big script, and he'd have to read it word for word. Fair and enough, just take fair away enough. personality completely. So maybe he should go to AEW where he has a little bit more freedom on the stick. But, yeah, he's a, he's a great trash talker, and I'm sure you know, he can continue the tradition. You know, Angela Mosca was a, obviously one of the best Tiger Cats, uh, the, one of the greatest of all time. And then he went into wrestling and had a pretty darn good career in uh, professional wrestling as well. So he could continue that tradition with uh, Tiger Cat football. Tie cats and WWE, man. I, I can't, it can't get any better than that. Nope. All right. Uh, enough fun talk. We got to talk some serious stuff, unfortunately. I mean, I guess that's what people come here. They'll come here to, to hear us talk about the world of professional wrestling. They hear us talk about football. Uh, but this is kind of good. The CFLPA sent out a memo that they've sent a return to play plan to the different orders of government in Canada using kind of the, some of the best attributes of what the other professional sports leagues have done. As we know, the NHL currently has their Canadian division up here where all the teams are playing in their home arenas and they're traveling and they have these protocols in place. And that's allowed the NHL to have a season and allowed the Canadian teams who are only playing the other Canadian teams, which would be exactly what the CFL is doing. So some of the best practices that, that these other leagues have done, the, the CFL and the PA have come together and sent this off to the government. This is has me cautiously optimistic about the potential for maybe not a full season, but at least a season of CFL football. Like we didn't hear anything about any sort of plans outside of we're going to ask the government for a bunch of money. And then very much later we're, Oh, maybe we'll do a bubble season in Winnipeg. But other than that, we, it was kind of barren for CFL news on, on what their plans were for 2020 to know that they were in February and they're, they're kind of putting this plan together and they've come together with the PA to do it. I don't know, gives me some optimism that we're going to see some CFL football. What did you think when you first saw sort of this memo come out in the public? Well, it's a nice change compared to all the, you know, the years in the past where it seems the CFL put off everything until the very last minute. So to see something out in February is is a good sign, I think, with the CFL and the CFLPA working together, you know, trying to see eye to eye on things, which is has been very difficult in the past. Um but yeah, I'm like you. I'm just, I'm not reading into any reports that's saying, you know, they're not going to play or it's going to be a shortened season. If it is a shortened season, that's fine. But I'm just staying positive until, you know, it's for sure not going to happen. So I'm I'm geared up. I'm ready to go. Uh, the season is on in my mind until I'm told otherwise. So I think this is good news. Yeah, it feels like with this coupled with free agency and re-signings, and, and we heard signing bonuses for players like teams are outlaying actual real money to people, to, to players for, for this upcoming season. Then we get this. Then we have Randy Ambrosi coming out talking about a bunch of stuff, which we'll get to in a second. This feels like the league is finally smartening up, maybe is the best way to say yeah. it. Because mm-hmm. for most of 2020, they were silent. And I think that did a disservice to fans, to stakeholders, and especially to the players. No one knew what was gonna what was going on, what was gonna happen until we got the news in what was it August? I think um, there's not gonna be a season, and 
no one knew up until basically that announcement what the league was doing. They made the only thing we heard was they made this pitch to the government that was very poorly received, where we need this is what we need, this is what we want, so we can play a season. And it obviously didn't go over well. This feels like they're maybe that kick in the nuts, metaphorically speaking, of what happened in 2020 has kind of got them more proactive in 2021 mm-hmm. because. I mean, we're not going to talk about it, but Brandon Banks sent out a tweet that said, if there's no season in 2021, he's he's done in the league. And yeah. I don't blame him or any other player. No, if there's no season in 2021, like no one's playing in the league. I no, don't think. there might be no league. I know there's been a lot of talk of that. Maybe people shake their hearing at that. If they don't play this year, then, you know, I don't think it's not coming back. But I, I, I truly believe that. I mean, it's like you can't go two seasons without playing and expect people to come back to the league. There's just going to be so much anger towards, um, you know, the owners and Randy Ambrosi that uh, a lot of people are going to be turned off and the, the fan base will not be there if there's another missed season. No, and and it would also look really bad for the league because we've seen the NHL operate, not yep. in a bubble, but in actual cities where teams are traveling back and forth. I think some of the junior hockey teams are going to be playing. And you can't tell me that the junior hockey leagues, like the WHL and the OHL and stuff like that, they don't have the money that the CFL has. And even if, the, even if you think the CFL doesn't have any money, they have more money than junior hockey. Like, the WHL does not have the resources that the Canadian Football League has, whether hockey's as big as it is or not. You know what I mean? There's yeah. the chance that the Canadian Premier League, the soccer league, is going to play a season in 2021 in their home stadiums. If the CFL can't get this together, then kind of out of sight, out of mind, but also people are just going to be like, like, how did this happen? What the hell? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if these other leagues, these other smaller leagues, these upstart leagues, I just saw today um, the Hamilton Honey Badgers, the Canadian Elite Basketball League team, just sent out their schedule of playing games at Cops Coliseum or whatever it's called now, First Ontario Centre, I think. Um, with, you know what I mean? Like, if these leagues, these startup leagues that, are, that lose money because they're startups, they're not making money right off the hop, if they can get their games going... There's no reason to believe the CFL shouldn't be able to get their crap together either. Right. And there's, you know, there's a lot of difference between basketball and football with the number of players oh, sure. and everything. But but you're right. The perception, I mean, it's just like, come on, guys, the CPL or the CEBL, you know, no offense to them. There's like you said, they're startup leagues and they don't have the built in fan base or they don't have the, the TV contract of the CFL. They're not working with the same amount of money. And if they're making it work, it's just going to look terrible on the CFL. So they just need to get their act together and put a product on the field because, you know, enough of this, um, you know, twiddling our thumbs and, and, and asking ridiculous amounts of money from the government. Make a plan, and if you need a little, maybe they will still ask for money from the government. I'm not sure. Maybe they'll still need a smaller amount. Like, I don't know. If they want to play their first couple of games without fans, maybe they'll ask for something. I'd rather they didn't ask for anything and they just figured it out, but... Uh, um, you know, going to the government for 150 million or whatever it was last year was a big. Um, that was a dumb move, and well, it just looked terrible. Especially on the doing league. that and not showing them your finance. Like, I don't. We could. Yeah, we not could including re- the players and yeah. all that crap. It was just. It was just. It was bad luck. You know, terrible optics. Yep. Yep. So speaking of this return to play stuff, we saw some comments from Randy Ambrosi. He did a couple interviews. I think it was with Dan Ralph with the Canadian Press, and I think he was on one of the radio shows in Saskatchewan. Um, this seems like the first time I've heard from him since. I think was you think that TS what was that TSN thing they did back in November, the Grey Cup thing. 
That seems like right. the last time I remember really hearing anything substantive from him. Do you recall anything since then? No, it's been pretty quiet. Um, other than, you know, the odd thing where it said, I, I heard something they, they intend to play um, in 2021, which didn't make me very confident. You know, they intended to play last year too. But, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this is the first time in a long time that we've heard something out of Randy Ambrosi. You know, not a lot, um, not a lot of details, but... Uh, uh, it's better than nothing, I guess. No, for sure. So some of the stuff he said uh, that I kind of wanted to pull for us to talk about was, this is a direct quote from Ambrosi. We're going to play a full season, but we're also going to have the ability to be flexible. And that's the other side of this. You have to be adaptable and flexible according to whatever circumstances come our way. But he also said, we are full throttle on our plans for a full season. So, I mean, I like the optimism. Like he's kind of eternally optimistic. If we, we, especially me, take shots at him for some of the things that he, he says and does. But the one thing that you can't say that he is, is is a pessimist. He's always very optimistic, and this comes off as some more optimism. Uh, but he also said, we've done more work on resetting the CFL's business model than the league has done in 50 years. We're going to make substantial improvements to our business model starting this year and running through years to come. That was one of the big things, too, with the pandemic and the CFL realizing we can't just operate business as usual. And this kind of ties into something we're going to talk about later with the sports betting. The CFL did need kind of a a wholesale reset of how they conducted business. And if the pandemic brought that, if we had to lose a season for that to go about, maybe in the long run, that was a good thing. My only issue with these comments, and you kind of touched on it, they're really short on actual news. It's a lot of typical Ambrosi, hey, this is what we want to do. Hey, this is what we're doing. But And I don't expect him to be like, here's the new plans for the CFL business model. That's that's not something any commissioner would divulge for any sports league. But this just it, it just feels like he felt like he needed to make some comments. You know what I mean? Like he, he had to come out and say, we're, this is what our plan is. But yet there's no plan. You know what I mean? Like it's it's mm-hmm. more of the kind of fluff that we're used to from him but I think coupling this, because these comments came before we heard, we saw this memo from the PA, I don't know, maybe obviously he knew something before anything happened, but maybe this was sort of him getting ahead of stuff and being like, we know this is coming down the pipe. Hey, let's get out. Let, let's me get out there and, and kind of do the raw, raw stuff. Because he's really good at the raw, raw stuff. I Give him credit for that. But it's just felt more, more of the same from him. I, I want more detail and less sort of like cheerleading, if that makes sense. Yeah, it'd be nice to know um, if they can't play with fans. Like, are they planning to still play the games or are they planning to delay until they can play with fans? Because we don't know what's going to happen with these vaccines and when it's going to be ready. And, you know, there's optimism about September, but that's, you know, that's half of the season right there. So um, it'd be nice to know what what the plan is, you know, Um it doesn't have to be every single detail, but if there's no, we all know that the CFL operates largely on gate revenue, right? So if there's no gate revenue, how are you going to play? And that's what I'd like to know from Randy Ambrosi, not just all this. Um, it's nice to hear from him, and uh, it's, it's nice, you know, the optimism and all that stuff. But uh, I'm kind of tired of the political speak, um, not saying anything while saying something. So. Uh, yeah, it'd be nice to know some of the details. Does it? Do you think that maybe they're hesitant to talk about sort of backup plans in in case fans can't be in the stands or they have mm-hmm. to shorten the season because they feel like people will just latch onto it and be like, "Well, this, you know, like 
okay, so the backup plan is a half. They they need to have fans in the stands. So if there's if we can't put fans in the stands, they won't play, and they feel like people will get down and and like I I think the opposite is true. I think if you told CFL fans like, hey, we're not going to play unless we have fans in the stands. I think fans of the league who maybe are on the fence about you know following all these protocols might be like, well, I'm not going to get a chance to go see my Stampeders play if I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Maybe it might kick him in the ass to do it. Now, of course, I could be completely wrong, and maybe I'm overly optimistic on that. But I don't know. I feel like maybe they're just afraid that if they put out sort of whatever their backup plan is, people will think that that is the only outcome. Like, well, obviously, we want a full season. Training camp starting in May. Season starts in June. We want, Fans in the stands. We want all that. But with obviously, with the changing nature of the pandemic, we're not sure that that's possible. I just sometimes wonder if maybe they're worried that by not being overly optimistic about playing the full season, that people will think that they're somehow setting this up to fail. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, I agree with you. I think that whatever they do, there's going to be a lot of people complaining. Cause of that's course. What, it's a CFL. That's what people we do. We love the yeah. league and we complain. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's like that with every everything on the internet now. You know, people just, I mean, if you go to, wrestling twitter or you know basketball twitter it's all arguing about this and that and people are upset about you know lebron james is the greatest no michael jordan's the greatest blah 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 blah. it's just like i'm so sick of it but anyways that's a different, <laughs> no i, I hey no topic. i i agree with you it's it's i don't know man and, and like I, I you know we as people we get into it too we're not immune from oh yeah I, i've i've had my fair number of arguments on twitter too and you know I'm guilty of it as well, so I can't just point my finger at everyone. But, yeah, it gets, you know, I just like anything they put out, if they're optimistic, people are going to, you know, poo on them. And then if they're pessimistic, then people are going to be upset about that too. So um, just as long as they have a plan and, and they're going to make it work, um, I'm happy. All right. Let's talk about plans and let's talk about the Ticats plans and let's shift into talking about the moves that they made since we last recorded CFL Free Agency Opened. And we'll talk about everything regarding free agency league wide a little bit, but let's talk. Let's focus on the Thai Cats. The day we recorded last, uh, the Podski curse hit us again. As what was it? Ten minutes, maybe fifteen, after we finished recording, uh, they announced a, a signing. Uh, Jovan Santos Knox, formerly of the Bombers and of the Edmonton Football Team, signed with the Thai Cats. He uh, has played in thirty-seven games over three seasons with the Bombers in Edmonton. Uh, making 142 tackles, nine sacks, two picks, and three forced fumbles. But he is coming off kind of a lost campaign. In 2019, he played in all but three games, or he played in just three games for Edmonton near the tail end of the season uh, due to, I believe it was a lingering foot injury from his time in Winnipeg. So he didn't see much time in Edmonton, and now he comes to Hamilton. And the belief seems to be that he could be the replacement for Larry Dean, who left for Saskatchewan at the middle linebacker position. But he's kind of always played Simone's position, the will spot. So I'm not sure if he can transition to being the guy in the middle, but this does feel like that's where the Ticats are going. Now, he's a good player. I, I remember his time in Winnipeg. I really enjoyed watching him play, and uh, I think he'll be good with the Ticats. But I do kind of wonder if if this experiment with putting him in the middle is going to work. What do you think? Yeah, I have the, I have the same concerns. You know, I, I also liked him when he was uh... – in Winnipeg and he was fully healthy and now he has that whole season that we didn't play mm-hmm. so uh, I'm, I'm assuming he's fully recovered and, and should be good to go but when I think of him I think of speed yeah um, and uh, 
you know, the transition to middle out <clears throat> middle linebacker might be might be tough, but uh, I'm sure they talked with him about it and are confident that you know if that's the plan that he can play that position. Now all we have to worry about is uh, is the Sam position now. So um, I I like the move. I like Santos Knox. So I, I think he's going to be a good addition. It reminds me in a way. Do you remember when Ken Austin came in and he moved Markeith Knowlton to a different linebacking spot, and then mm-hmm. he moved. Jamal Johnson to the middle and Johnson was good, but he wasn't the same player that he was when he was at will. So it was like it worked. And I think it was, that was both of their, I mean, I'm pretty sure Knowlton was released during that season. And I think that was Jamal Johnson's last year with the Ticats. Some guys are just better suited for certain positions. Now, if, if they try it out, it doesn't work. I mean, that, that happens. That happens with players across the league at various positions, but I don't know. I'm a little, worried this this is i'm not usually of the two of us i'm not usually the one who's worried yeah. about a position but i am worried about making a move here because with you speed seems to be something i i associate with him more so than i don't want to say toughness because you're a football player you're tough but like physicality so mm-hmm. you you man that middle position you got to be you know larry dean was a t- is a tough physical sob so to kind of have to fill his shoes is is tough the weird thing is Justin Tuggle, who was the starting middle linebacker for the team in 2019, is still a free agent. And it's, it feels like you right. lost Dean. Why not try to bring him back? Like, mm-hmm. he, he, I thought he was really – and I was skeptical about whether what he could do as a middle linebacker. And I thought he was really good for the Ticats in 2019. So, I mean, if maybe that's that's kind of a backup plan. Maybe if this doesn't work out with Santos Knox, they they go and they, they bring in Justin Tuggle. I, I don't know. Just it, this – as much as I like to move because I like him as a player, it's it's got to fit with where they see him playing. Yeah, <clears throat> I know that Tuggle caught some heat from some Tigat fans early on in the season, but uh, you know I think he really improved as the the the, the year went along. Um, Tuggle made some key interceptions. I think he made a big one in a playoff game. Um, so I, I like Tuggle as well, but I don't think you have to worry about the linebackers, Josh, because. No one's getting past this defensive line. Okay, fair enough. And uh, no one's throwing on the no secondary. No one's throwing anything either because the defensive line is going to get to the quarterback uh, right quick. You know, you got, you know, who we got on that defensive line, and they're yeah. an impressive bunch. So, um, you know, maybe they should sign us to linebackers. More <laughs> okay, well, you bring up the rest of the defense, and we got to talk about the defensive back because the one free agent <clears throat> that they brought in during actual free agency. Is a pretty darn good one, and it's Siante Evans, uh, formerly of the Stampeders and the Alouettes. Uh, won a great cup with Calgary in 2018. He's a two-time West Division All-Star, one-time CFL All-Star. Played in 13 games with the Owls in 2019. He is one of the best defensive backs in the league, and by bringing him in, you now look at that defensive backfield, and it's Delvin Bro, Cariel Brooks, Siante Evans, Frankie Williams, Tunde Adelike, and then you have Jamal Roll, who led the team in interceptions in 2019 as your sixth back, as your like backup. At, mm. uh, at what, like if Frankie Williams is is too busy with special teams, Roll slots into that wide side cornerback spot. We talk about the defensive line and how good they are, and there's there's no doubt about that. But adding Evans to this defensive back group, you're not going to be able to run the ball on him because that de- defensive line's so good. You're not going to be able to pass on him because that secondary is so good. Shutouts every week. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I guarantee it. It's a guarantee. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, we talk about the defensive line being so great, and then you look at the secondary, and it's like, God, you know, you, that sixth guy is like, he could be a starter anywhere um, besides the Ticats. So 
I mean, he's taken, um, Santi Evans has taken Leonard's spot. Yeah. Uh, I believe anyways, that's a position he played in Montreal. So he should slide right in there. And honestly, like you look at those names and it's like a delicate at safety. Um, he's a stud. Uh, all these guys are studs. Uh, bro, obviously is one of the best ever to do it in the CFL. So to me, I mean, yeah, I don't know if anyone else in the, in the CFL has a better secondary than we do. That's for sure. I mean, these guys are just outstanding. Well, in the last two seasons that were actually played, 2018 and 2019, um, four of these five guys were named either division or league all-stars. So the only one that wasn't was Frankie Williams, but he was named an all-star returner. <laughs> so yeah. if, if you want to get and technical... he made some big plays in the, in the secondary as well. I for remember sure. some, some interceptions and some knockdowns and all that good stuff. So yeah, it's... Uh, it's going to be scary for uh, opposing, you know, offenses to come against these guys. You know, we're worried about the linebackers a little bit, or you are more so. But, uh, man, uh, the defense looks pretty good besides that. No, the defense does look tremendous. It's uh, it's it's not going to be easy to score on this team, quite frankly. I, I don't know. Obviously, the shutout thing was a joke. They're not going to get shutouts every week. But this uh, outside of that Sam linebacker spot, I, I don't, yeah, I don't are we really... Talking like? We're talking the 1967 Ticats level of defense? I don't know about that, but it, it might be close. It's it, This is this is going to be fun to watch. And everyone's talking about the Argos and all the moves they made, especially on defense. And quietly, the Ticats just brought everyone back and then add an all-star player in Siante Evans to a secondary that was already pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. I I don't really know what else there is to say, but if you're the Argos, you got to come through the Ticats to get to the Grey Cup and... As I sit right now, I don't really see that happening. Uh, the last player that the Ticats brought in, and this is a bring back, they brought back receiver Brian Jones. This is this is a head-scratcher for me. It was a head-scratcher for me when they signed him the first time. It was a head-scratcher when they released him and then brought him back, and now to re-sign him again. Obviously, his role is to be on special teams, and the, the albatross that hangs over his neck is the fact that he was the fourth overall pick in the 2016 draft. And if you take a receiver that high, you kind of expect him to turn into Andy Fantuz, not someone who's most notable for getting tackles on special teams. He had his he has 18 special teams tackles in his career, nine with the Ty Cats in 2019. And he has 14 so he has more tackles on special teams, 18, than he has catches with 14. So obviously his role's not going to be on offense. It's just I understand you need depth Canadians and I guess Jones is a, is a decent guy to have around, but this one just feels like, I don't know, maybe money could have been spent elsewhere. Obviously I don't think he's making huge buco bucks, but I don't know, man. It's just, just because of how little he provides on offense and the fact that he probably won't ever see the field on offense. It just feels like a weird signing to me. Yeah. It's a little underwhelming, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'd like to see Unger get a chance at that mm-hmm. position. Um, you know, we didn't see much from him in the last couple of years, but, uh, we haven't seen much from Brian Jones either. So I'd like, you know, maybe, maybe Unger is going to be the starting receiver and Brian Jones is just going to be the backup and a special teams guy. But <clears throat> to me, um, even though, you know, his high draft pick and all that stuff, um, the, the potential was there, but it just hasn't been fulfilled yet. And I'd like to see Unger get a, get a shot at that position. Yeah. I'm with you on that too. I think. I think we've seen outside of their needs, the Ticats have made a concerted effort to kind of go younger. Uh, we know that Mike Filer won't be back, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so they're going to go younger on the offensive line. And I feel like we know most of what the receiving core is going to look like. It's going to be Addison, Banks, Acklin, 
and Devere Posey, and then you have that fifth spot there that's usually occupied by a Canadian. Brian Jones could fill that role, but I'm with you. I'm kind of hoping that it's a guy like David Unger, who might be more suited as a slot back, but you get on the field any way you can. And then, of course, there's the rookie they drafted last year from Waterloo, the Hamilton boy, Tyler Tronowski, obviously is going to get a chance to make the team as well. So I think that that fifth receiver spot is going to be Canadian. I think Jones's re-signing speaks to that as well because, I mean, worst-case scenario, you throw him out there. He's a veteran guy. That 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 wide side receiver is not really someone that sees a lot of action anyway. So if if you're not super confident in the young guys, you can always use Jones. But I feel like this is more of a, a backup signing with hopefully him contributing on special teams and then one of the younger kids gets a chance to carve out a role in the offense. Yeah, that would <clears throat> that would be nice to see. And you know, maybe maybe Brian Jones just hasn't given hasn't been given the opportunity to show that he can be productive. Uh, we don't know, but, uh, but overall, yeah, it was a bit of a question. Like when you saw the sign, you're like, Oh, okay. And I thought he'd just be let go and, uh, maybe someone else would pick him up. But, uh, I guess special teams are important too, right, Josh? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, American rookies, the Ticats have signed a boatload of them. We won't get into all of them. There are two that I want to highlight amongst this crop of about 10 guys that they're bringing into camp. Uh, Both have NFL experience. Running back Byron Marshall, who is the younger brother of former Ticat running back Cam Marshall, uh, played 13 games in the NFL with Philadelphia and Washington, accumulating uh, just over 100 yards on the ground and and about 70 or so in the air. But uh, he spent four seasons at Oregon, which seems to be where the Ticats are plucking a lot of players. Jeremiah Mazzoli went to Oregon. Braylon Addison went to Oregon. Oregon's a pretty good pipeline to the CFL, it seems, eh? It does seem that way. Um, I wonder if it's the spread offense the, that they played. Yeah, that could be the the Pac-12 style of offense mm-hmm. with the, you know, the high scoring and and all that all that stuff. Um, but yeah, the the Hamilton Tiger Ducks. It's uh, <laughs> rolls it's off the thing. tongue. There's, yes, yes, very good. Um, the, 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 you could play play with the the logo there with the Tiger Duck and you know. Anyways, carrying on. <laughs> uh, so the thing that that stood out to me in, in looking up Marshall was he is the first player in Pac-12 history to have both a thousand yard rushing and a thousand yard receiving season. He did it in back to back years. He had the thousand yard rushing season in 2013 and thousand yard receiving season in 2014. So he's got the skills to com- to be a, a big time player at both running back and receiver. And as we know, being versatile is uh, almost a must if you if you're playing in the cfl and it seems like these guys braylon addison comes to mind talk about versatility that's a guy who's run the ball thrown the ball caught the ball done returns but it reminds me of another former tie cat and i think this is going to tickle your nostalgia bone here mike archie amerson was a guy that came to the tie cats as a running back and then transitioned into a slot back and then you look at the size of amerson he was 5'8 175 Marshall's a little bit bigger at 5'9", 215, but I do wonder if maybe he could carve out sort of that uh, that slash role with the Ticats. As we know, running backs in the CFL have to be adept at pass catching just as almost as well as they are at running the ball, and, and of course they have to be good pass blockers as well. But I, I see a guy that's, again, what stands out, the only player ever, or the first player, I should say, in, in the history of the Pac-12, which is a massive conference in, mm-hmm. in American college football, to have thousands yard receiving and a thousand yard rushing season, that tells me this guy can play ball, and I'm kind of excited to see what he could do in a CFL offense. Yeah, that's a lot of credentials for um, 
you know, an NCAA career. It's, it's really impressive. And that's what you want to see in the CFL. As you mentioned, you know, you gotta, you gotta be coming out of the backfield, catching the ball a lot. And, uh, Marshall seems to be able to do that uh, very, very well. So, and I like Cam Marshall, his brother, when he was with the Ticats, he was a very short time, but I, I like the way he ran the ball and maybe he's got a little bit of that in him too. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're already stacked at the running back position with, uh, Sean Thomas Erlington and, uh, Don Jackson in there, but maybe this guy, could have a future with the tie cats because obviously he has the talent i'm not going to put this on him but i recall back in 2013 the tie cats had a running back by the name of siobhan walker and he had come off a great season rookie season in 2012 and they signed a, a running back who i was somewhat familiar with out of the university of southern california by the name of cj gable and i thought man cj gable i remember him from the from the video games i'm pretty sure i played with him or played against him in like the NCAA video games. Because like when I played those NCAA video games of old, I would find a way to put the actual rosters in the game because I don't want to play with like quarterback 12 of, of, right. you know what I mean? So, yeah. And I'm pretty, so I was like, oh, see, I remember he was a kind of a decent running back at USC. And I was thinking, man, they, they bring him in and, and they already have Walker. And I think they had a couple other running backs or two on the, like veteran guys on the roster as well. I wish I could remember. I should have, I should have looked into this better than I did. But, they brought him in, and then what do you what do we know? Gable's the starting running back to start the season, and goes on to have a very very good CFL career. I don't think that Marshall will eclipse, like he's got a, he's got an uphill battle to take out Sean Thomas Erlington because of Erlington's Canadian passport, and the Ticats are really high on Don Jackson. But if he hangs around for a couple of years, maybe he gets the opportunity to play. And and you look at that versatility, it could be a guy that we're talking about very briefly now that could pay dividends uh, sometime this year, especially with the nature of running backs getting hurt or in, yep. in future years. You know what I mean? So this is a name that I think people should really be keeping an eye on, especially when camps eventually do open. Yeah. He's a guy that, uh, you know, he could be, he could get some action this year if he makes the team. You, you don't know with, uh, with all the injuries of the physicality of the running back position, you know, pretty much get hit on every play. So there's, there's going to be some people going down and, uh, you know, if he gets that opportunity, maybe he shines and uh, shows the rest of the league that he's uh, he's the real deal. So, yeah, I'm going to be keeping my eye, eye on him through camp and uh, see how he does. Uh, so the other player I want to talk about is a, a Cam, interestingly enough. Cameron Kelly played, uh, I think it was 14 games with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2019. Another DB, and I, we just talked about how loaded the Ticats are at defensive back, but it's never a bad idea to bring in a guy that's got a season of NFL experience. I just wonder, if they, you know, bring in a couple of guys that have played some games in the NFL. If, uh, I mean, the Ticats are always looking to improve their roster, but we always see sort of, we see veterans come in, and then we see these young guys who take their spot, and we, we, you kind of never saw it coming. I don't know, a guy that has a season's worth of game tape playing at the highest level of professional football kind of intrigues me. What about you? Yeah, it does. Me too. And it just, it, to me, it says something about the talent that we have in this league. Like, we have guys like this that, you know, have that pedigree in the NFL, who've been in the NFL, who um, have had great careers in NCAA football, and they're probably not going to, you know, make the team or, or they're going to be backups. So, you know, it, it says something about the talent in the league, and it it, uh, it fills me with pride that I know that, you know, the CFL has a great amount of talented dudes that can play football at a very high level. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of talented dudes, the Ticats lost some talented dudes, uh, some to uh, teams across the league, others uh, because they didn't want to keep them, and another one to retirement. So uh, let's talk about the three guys that left the squad 
all of them signed on for the 2020 season and never played a down for the Ticats because there was no 2020 season. Patrick Levels went back to Montreal. Larry Dean, who obviously had played for the Ticats previously, signed with the Riders. And Justin Herdman-Reed also signed with the Riders. Of these three losses, we'll call them, which one are you most worried about? Uh, levels. Yeah. I think he would have been, uh, great at the, the Sam position and, um, you know, there's a little bit of a hole right, uh, hole there right now. So if we would have got him back, it would have put my, my mind at ease with the linebacking group as I'm sure would you, um, that's a very important position. And, uh, you know, we don't have anyone or we don't have anyone known that's going to fill it right now. So to me, the, you know, Patrick levels is the, is the biggest loss. 100%. We saw what the team could do without Larry Dean. Uh, Justin Tuggle played, I think, for the most part, pretty well in 2019. Uh, we'll see what Jovan Santos-Knox does, given the opportunity to play that spot. Uh, losing a guy like Justin Herdman-Reed, that's Canadian depth guy. Maybe he had starters potential down the road, but the Ticats have a lot of linebackers. So that, to me, yeah, it, it sucks to lose a guy because you never got to see him play, but it's to me it's not a big bowl. Levels was the one. And coupling it with the loss of Rico Murray that we'll talk about right after this, mm-hmm. it really does leave a gaping hole at the same linebacker position, which feels like it's almost an eternal question that we have with this team is who's going to play Sam. Ever since Eric Harris left for the NFL, it's just been a revolving door of guys there. And, you know, they, they get a guy like Don Unamba who played for a season. Rico Murray's obviously played there to, to, to a lot of success. But it always feels like we go into more seasons than not the last five or six years wondering who's going to man that position with Patrick level signing for last year. It was like, Oh, this is, this is a home run. We have nothing to worry about losing him sucks. Now, Mm -hmm. the only thing I say about it not being a massive blow is we never saw him play. We don't know how good he would have been in this defense. I think he would have been tremendous, but that's all speculation, right? So it's definitely the biggest blow of the three, but I don't think it's one the team can't overcome. If that makes sense. No, I, I agree. I think they can, you know, find some, and I believe they will find someone to, to fill that Sam position. But it seems like every year we, there's a couple positions that we were talking about, right? It seems like Sam is one of them, uh, left tackle is one of them, and kicker. Yep. It always seems that those three are are, are question marks every year. Um, I don't know if, you know, they don't put as much importance into those positions or or what the deal is. Um, I don't question them because I, I believe they do a great job every year. Um, but, yeah, it just seems like those three positions are always a question mark going into the season. Yeah, and the big reason Sam's a question mark, as I said, Rico Murray is no longer with the team. He has announced his retirement. And I think this is a bigger blow than any of the, the player losses that they suffered because we know how good Rico Murray could be. And I think Rico Murray, for his career in the CFL, was one of the most underrated guys I think no one talked about him, but the last three seasons, especially where he played all 18 games, uh, season in Toronto, season in Ottawa, and then back in Hamilton, I think it, his the biggest knock on him in his first run with the Ticats was that he couldn't stay healthy. Then he proved he could stay healthy, and he was, I believe he was a two-time division All-Star. Uh, he won a Grey Cup with the Argos, got to a Grey Cup with the Riders. I mean, the guy spent seven seasons in the CFL, went to the Grey Cup five times. Yeah. Like, that's incredible. Like, and yeah, it's, it's not like, oh, you know, cause we don't attribute those types of things to people that aren't quarterbacks. He played on five great cup contending teams. Like that's, that, that's not in no small part because of his role. You don't, yeah. you're not on teams that make championship games by not doing your part. 
And uh, I, th- I think this is an absolutely big blow to the Ticats and their defense because if you lost Patrick Levels but got Rico Murray back, I think you're okay. Well, I, le- I think yep. Levels is better than Murray, but I think you're fine. Losing them both now brings that huge spotlight on that position that we're now going to try to fill with potentially uh, someone new to the CFL, and that could lead to some growing pains and maybe lead to some confusion on defense, whereas if Rico was there, you really had nothing to worry about. So I think this uh, this sucks. Obviously, wish him well in retirement and was glad we got to watch him play for all those years, but uh, I think this is a, I think this is a big blow to Tiger's defense. Yeah, I think so too. The guy just brings um, you know, a large amount of experience, obviously. Um, a talented dude, does his job very, very well. Um, he was a three-time division All-Star, 2014, 17, 18. Played in 13 playoff games, including five Grey Cup appearances. 13, 14, 17, 18, 19, and a 1-1 with the... The only blemish on his, his career. <laughs> he won in a uh, great cup with the Argonauts, but uh, that's okay, I guess. So we'll forgive him for that. Um, but yeah, he was, a, he was a fun player to watch. He was a, he was a fixture in, uh, in Hamilton, and uh, it's sad to see him go. And they're going to feel it for a little bit until they can find a replacement. Also sad to see go, and we kind of... Or at least I did. I'm not sure how, how you felt, but I kind of felt that this was coming. Mike Filer, it was uh, officially announced, will not be offered a contract for the 2021 season, ending the run of the last Ticats player that ever played at Iverwind Stadium. That's kind of a, a sad, sad note to to think about, that there are now no players on the roster that ever played at the old stadium. Uh, just tells me that how long ago that it's been since Iverwind Stadium was torn down. Feels like yesterday, and now we're entering nine years since that last season at Iverwind, and doesn't feel like almost a decade's gone by, but uh, I, again, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I, I think when we discussed Filer last time we recorded, I kind of said that uh, I, you could kind of feel that maybe this was coming, that they were going to go younger on, along the offensive line. They were, they had a, they've spent a lot of draft picks on some Canadian offensive linemen, and it felt like with Manzile being as good as he is, and the two guys being in Sirocco and Revenberg being so much younger that they were going to make a move. It was going to be with Mike Filer not coming back. And now that that's official, it's uh, it's still sad because I think he he could still play the game. But it didn't surprise me when when Steve Milton wrote the article saying the Ticats were not going to offer him a contract. I know you're pretty bummed because he was on your list of guys that you want to see brought back. So uh, right. I, I feel I feel bad for you because he is one of my favorites as well. But uh, I I think it's now that we know for certain, for certain he's not coming back, this doesn't feel like much of a surprise. No, it doesn't, uh, especially with all the offensive linemen they've been drafting over the years. And I think, like you mentioned in your article on three down, they they had to play eventually. So um, I get it. Um, Selfishly, I would want him back just to make my concerns less Mm -hmm. um, about the offensive line. But, um, yeah, it's just a decision that had to be made, and uh, they're going younger. There's going to be young guys at the – depending on what they do, maybe they move – Revenberg to center, and then they have a or Sirocco. Which one is that natural position at center? Uh, I think Sirocco played center at UFC, so I think it's okay. more. I mean, Revenberg played all. He uh, the thing with Revenberg is he played every position in university, so mm-hmm. he he has experience at center as well. I just think he's so good at guard. I don't think you move him. I think you can move Sirocco to center, and then I think you slot in. Uh, Jesse Gibbon, the uh, second overall pick from the 2019 draft. And then you kind of, you have him between Van Zyl and Sirocco, and it's like maybe any deficiencies or any problems he has at first can be covered up by those two guys who, uh, Van Zyl, obviously a longtime veteran. Sirocco's played three or four years in the league. So I, I think that 
that's if 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 I'm to guess, I think that's the guess I'd make. Although it wouldn't surprise me if they if they slotted Revenberg in center or even even Gibbon himself played center. So I mean, we're obviously going to see when when camp opens in a few months, hopefully. But uh, yeah, I if I was to make a guess, that would be my guess. It'd be Sirocco sliding into center, and then, yeah, and, Gib- okay. and Gibbon slides in. I think Gibbon will get the first shot. Gibbon like slides into right guard, or yeah, I think he would. Yeah, he yeah. would slot in at right guard, right beside Van Zyl. That would be that would be my okay. Again, not. I don't know anything. I don't have any insider information. I'm not talking to anyone of the coaching staff. Like that's not what we do right. here. But that's just uh, in in thinking about it, kind of like educated guess. Like when you go, okay, how would, would you how would you best cover up a young player's right mistakes? Because he's going to make mistakes. Obviously, he's it's going to get some starting experience. And I just feel like Gibbon, having spent a year with the Tie Cats, has a leg up on Wood Manzi, who was the their top pick in in 2020. Gibbon spent a year on the team in 2019, even though he played. I don't. I, he maybe played the last game. He played very limitedly in, in his first season with Ticats. But there's something to be said about having been in the coach's room, having been in meetings, having been on the field in practice, having experienced a, a full season of professional games that gives you, I think, gives a player a leg up on, on a rookie coming in straight from university. Now, he's listed as the backup here. I'm just looking at a depth chart yep. from uh, last year. From last year. He's listed as the backup as the left guard. Now, mm-hmm. has he played right guard? Uh, before i'm not i'm not sure but i don't know if the you know transition from left you know you talk about transitioning from right tackle to left tackle is kind of a big deal um is it as big a deal from left guard to right guard i don't think I'm so sure. i because i yeah. don't think it's as i mean the footwork's obviously reversed but i don't think i never let me put it this way i never hear about anyone saying like oh they gotta move a guy from right to left at guard i never really hear anyone talk about that you're right about tackles everyone always talks about oh guy transitioning from one side to the other you never hear yeah. about it with guards no, no, I think it's just more of a, yeah, it'd be, it, it seems like it'd be an easier transition. So I'm not, I'm not as worried about that position. I'm just more worried about the left tackle. And, yeah, uh, as you always are, you know, as I always am. And, you know, everyone knows that's a, it's an important position for a quarterback and, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a young guy at left tackle. So, um, We'll see about that. We'll see about that. Riker Matthews was a young guy as well uh, at one time, and then he became one of my favorite tackles that the Tiger Cats have ever had. So maybe um, I believe it's Tate that uh, could yep. slide into that position, and and maybe he you know shuts my mouth once we get started here. Well, hopefully there'll be games to watch in 2021 that'll let us get our mouths shut. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, all right, that's uh, that's all we kind of got for the Cats, but there's still some news to talk about league wide. The biggest news to come out of free agency was the retirement of Solomon Elamimian. What is there to say about one of the greatest players that I think we'd agree has ever played this game? 10-year career with the Lions and Riders, played in 133 games, 833 tackles, 33 sacks, 8 picks, 2 forced fumbles. He has 3 of the top tackle seasons in CFL history, setting the record in 2014. Uh, 2014 with 143, then breaking that record in 2017 with 144, and he also had 129 tackle season in 2016. Four-time CFL All-Star, six-time West Division All-Star, won the Grey Cup in 2011 with the BC Lions, was the 2010 Most Outstanding Rookie, the 2014 and 2016 Most Outstanding Defensive Player, and of course the big one. In 2014, he became the only purely defensive player to win M. O-P. That is one hell of a resume, Mike. And in the wake of his retirement, the question that kept popping into my head was, is he the greatest linebacker in CFL history? 
if you don't think he is, which I, I'm sure there are people that don't, he's definitely in the conversation, right? Oh, absolutely. The guy, the guy's the best that I've ever seen. I'm convinced. Um, you know, there was a, you don't really hear about players and I don't know this for a fact, but I think that players feared Solomon Elamimian, you know, in his prime, he was uh, he was a hard hitter. You know, he's a dangerous guy, you know, to get near to, to get close to if you're an offensive player. So I think that fear factor was there. The accolades are there. Um, you know, the eye test is there. You watch him play. You know he's great. Um, to me, he's the best that I've ever seen. And there might be guys that I'm missing, that I'm forgetting, but uh, he's the one that pops out as the best middle linebacker ever. Yeah, he's he's definitely the best of his generation, I think. In my lifetime, anyways. Yeah, and I, yeah, and that's the thing, too. It's, it's really hard for us to judge guys. When we were eight years old, the amount of yeah. CFL stuff we could see wasn't as much as we could see today. You know what I mean? Like... We literally can watch every, like I've probably watched every single game Solomon El Mumian has ever played. I can't say the same about the guys from when I was 10, 12, 14, you know what I mean? Cuz the game all the games weren't on. But I've seen oh. every game and and there, there's some there's been some really good linebackers the last few years. Um but I think I mean he's a he's a no doubt first ballot Hall of Famer and all those accolades the one that I keep coming back to is he won a freaking MOP as a defensive player. No one else has done that. We probably won't ever see that happen again. It's going to be, like, in our lifetimes, we might never see a defensive player win MOP again. He did that. And I know, you know, one individual season does not a career make, but that's a really big, bright light on his resume that he can hold over any other player to play his position. So, I mean, we get into these debates about greatest of all time, and I know that that's the question I asked. And it's, it's, it's so hard. It's so, because the game, especially football has changed so much, maybe not for linebackers. Like it's really just hit guys as hard as you can. (laughs) Um, That Mm -hmm. kind of has been the way the linebackers play the entire time. I, I, I'm with you. I think in that I can think of off the top of my head, at least of the guys that I saw play and we're, we're in our, I'm in my late thirties. You're in your mid thirties. I think he's, he's at the top of the list. I, I really do believe that we may have seen the last of the, the best linebacker ever, but definitely the best of his generation. I think that's without question. And I, I, I agree with you the best that we've seen in our lifetimes. Yeah, absolutely. The guy, uh, guy was a stud his whole career. Um, you know, even his last year in Saskatchewan, it wasn't what, um, his years prior were, but he was still an effective linebacker. And, and I think if he played this year, he, he still could be an effective linebacker. And the rumor was that maybe he was coming to Hamilton, which, um, was kind of a head scratcher at the time. I didn't really see that happening, but and, and obviously it didn't. But uh, I would have been happy, you know, seeing Solomon Alamimian in a in a tie cats uniform would have been kind of cool. Um, but yeah, you know, you can't compare um, past generations and, and all that stuff. But to me, the watching players play over my lifetime, he has been um, number one. Uh, number one at middle linebacker and him and Adam Big Hill, that combination was, was incredible too for a couple of years in BC. Yeah. It's funny. I don't think that we appreciate greatness. I think it's hard to see greatness when it's, it's happening it's in real time. On. Like it's, yeah. it's so much easier to, to mythologize the players of the past because mm-hmm. it's like, all we talk about are like the great things they did and like the numbers are there, but especially because 50 years ago, everything wasn't as accessible as it is today. We don't have the ability to watch every single game Angela Mosca played. We're lucky if we get a Grey Cup or two. You know what I mean? Like, 
it, it's it's so much easier now to we see players play poorly, but over the course of a career, I, I think we just don't appreciate. And, and I'm guilty of this too with with certain players, especially if you don't like a player or if you don't like a team, mm-hmm. you're you're less inclined to be like, no, he's awesome. But if you do like a player, and this kind of goes back to the thing you were talking about earlier with like people getting into debates about who's the greatest and everyone's just arguing about stuff. I think we're just really hesitant to recognize greatness in the modern athlete because their stories haven't been mythologized over generations. Solomon Elamimlian feels like a player who in 50 years you tell your grandchildren about like, oh man, I saw this guy play. He had, a, he had this mm-hmm. career. He was just, he was, he was so like, someone will, someone will do something. Someone will break his tackle record. You know what I mean? And someone will say, oh man, but yeah, you should have seen Solly play, man. He was, he was one of a kind. So maybe it'll take a few years, maybe a few decades even for us to really appreciate what he did for the game. But I think the instant reaction for me right now is he's got to go down as one of the greatest to ever do it. Yep. And it's just like, you bring up a good point, you know, um, a guy like Bo Levi Mitchell to me, I'm like, eh. but yeah. uh, I don't think I'll admit it till I'm on my deathbed and I'm like, yeah, he's, <laughs> he was all right. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it, what's the difference? And again, I, I Doug Flutie, we, we both consider, I think it's fair to say we both consider Doug Flutie the greatest player to ever play in CFL. Yep. I'd say so. The one, yeah. Like, like I said, the player that I've seen play, like maybe if I saw Warren moon, I might have a different opinion, but uh, yeah, Doug Flutie's the, the goat to me. Yeah. Um, we also saw Anthony Calvillo. You know what yes. I mean? Like, and yeah. like, do we do we think that Anthony Calvillo is not as good as he could be because he's not Doug? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we've we I don't think we appreciated Calvillo when he played either. I think it no. took him leaving the game for us to finally go. And a lot of that has to do with like with Flutie, he bounced around a lot. He was in Cal, he was in BC, then Calgary, then Toronto, and then he went to the NFL. And we could all kind of like as a CFL community be like. No, we yeah. all love Doug Flutie seeing what he, we want him to succeed in the NFL, especially when he did it with Buffalo. It's like, oh, the Bills, they don't ever win anything. Like Flutie, like the quarterback Flutie from Canada. Magic, baby. Yeah, like Flutie, the, the undersized quarterback from Canada who goes yeah. down to Buffalo. You know what I mean? Like there was there was this this feel-good feeling about Doug Flutie that sort of like all of CFL fandom embraced. Whereas Calvillo, there's, there's fan bases in three CFL cities, most notably Hamilton, I, I think chief among them, who hate Calvio because of how he crushed us all those times. But now that he's out of the game, it's like, man, we, like the amount of games that I went to that I got to see Anthony Calvio play live, like I took yeah, it for granted. at the time. No, I took yep. it for granted when he played and I booed him because I didn't want him to succeed. And then it's like, yeah. man, I've probably seen him live over 10 times. And that's like, he's one of the greatest to ever step foot on a CFL field. Mm-hmm. And at the time you just kind of dismissed it as it was kind of ho-hum. But now that years have passed since he stopped playing, it's like, you look back on it and go, I was really lucky to have had a chance to be live in person and then on television, watch him play. So I think the same will happen with guys like Elamimi and, and this generation of players. When a few years down the line, we're going to go, man, we did, we, we really kind of took him for granted. And that's, I don't mm-hmm. think that's anyone's fault. I think it's just the nature of, of, what we do. Like, I think we just, like I said, we don't recognize greatness when it's right in front of us as it's happening live. But years later, we are going to kind of go, yeah, you know what? We were really lucky. Yeah. And I, I watched a game uh, with Anthony Calvillo like recently. And I, the thing that stood out to me was the arm strength. I mean, that guy could sling the ball and you don't really, I'm trying to think of it. Like you don't really see, you know, the velocity on the ball like that. 
in the modern CFL. I'm trying to think of a quarterback that could really zip it like that, you know, that like hit a player in stride, just just the, the ball just flying through the air. I, I can't think of anyone right now. And, 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 you know, you think of the some of the greats that were playing with Andy Calvillo, you know, Ricky Ray never had that zip on the ball. Mm-hmm. And not, not to say that, he, you know, it makes him a, a, uh, not as a good quarterback as Anthony Calvillo, but uh, it's just it was just fun to watch him sling the ball like that. Just, uh, you know, he could really, you know, put his muscles behind it. What has not been fun, however, Mike, is watching everyone slurp the Toronto Argonauts. Oh, my God. Mm. The, the Argos just – free agency, I think, as a, as a whole was a little bit – underwhelming would you agree with that yeah a lot of players re-signing with their teams and then then there's some you know talented guys out there that uh looks like aren't gonna be in the cfl you know a guy like ricky collins jr who who had a pretty darn good year in 2019 uh just retired because he wasn't getting offers so yeah it was a a little bit underwhelming except for the argonauts who seem to be signing everyone under the sun they did Uh, dude the laundry list of players that they brought in either via trade or free agency and new guys, they've been getting a lot of publicity for some of the the rookies they're bringing in. So obviously Charleston Hughes they brought in, Cord- or Cordero Law they traded for, John White, Eric Rogers, Odell Willis. They kept Devaris Daniels and Juwan Breskison. And then there's the rookies that they brought in. Quarterback Kelly Bryant, who was Clemson's quarterback, I believe, just before Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be the first overall pick in the NFL draft in April. Uh, Martavis Bryant, who's a former, I think he was a third-round pick, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, also played with the then Oakland Raiders. They brought in former first-round picks Shane Ray and receiver Kendall Wright. Ray was a first-round pick of the Broncos, I think, in like 2014, 2015, something like that. And Kendall Wright was a first-round pick of the Tennessee Titans. They also bring in former NFLer Eli Harold and defensive lineman Coney Ely, who was on the Carolina Panthers Super Bowl team and had three sacks of Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl and probably would have been named MVP of the game if the Panthers had won that game. They also obviously did the quarterback swap where they released Matt Nichols and then signed Nick Arbuckle, who was released by the Ottawa Red Blacks. And then now, I'm sure you've seen, they are the rumor is that they're going to be going after Enoch Mwamba. So the Argos are just absolutely loading up, and this has has kind of split CFL fandom. There's a lot of people going, they got to be over the cap, and they're freaking out about it. And then I'm kind of sitting here going, yeah, whatever. So I got two questions for you, Mike. I'll start with the first one. Let's work on the assumption that all of these are big name signings and it's costing them money and they're over the cap. Do you care that the Argos are going over the cap? Uh, not particularly. I, uh, I think this is what the Argonauts have been, should have been doing for a long time. You know, sign, sign big college names, sign former NFL talent that, uh, you know, you mentioned a guy like Kendall Wright. He led the Titans one year in receiving. So um, they're bringing in big names uh, I'm not worried about the salary cap. You know, a lot of people are worried about that, but you don't have to oblige to the salary cap until the end of the season, right? You, the numbers Correct. have to be under at the end of the season. So Correct. Right now, it sign, don't make a damn bit of difference. Yeah, they could sign anyone they wanted at any price they wanted as long as by the end of the season, it's it's under the cap. So um, it doesn't bother me. We've seen teams bring in a, a boatload of free agents before, a lot of talent, and it doesn't work out for them. So... Um, I think it's it's a good thing for the league. It's a good thing for the Argonauts to bring in some name talent, maybe get some interest from uh, some Toronto fans that may not uh, watch Argonaut football regularly. Um, yeah, I just I just think this is what the Argonauts should be doing. They should be the bad boys of the CFL, you know, with MLSE owning them and all that money. They should 
They should be doing this every year, just going for it all out every year, signing whoever they can to bring in. And you mentioned maybe signing Enoch Mwamba. I mean, they already got Cam Judge, did they not? Like, yep. holy crap, that's that's two. Oh yeah, I forgot. Very, I, didn't, I didn't even bring talented. up Cam Judge. I can't believe I forgot Cam Judge. Right, uh, two very talented Canadian linebackers. So, um, you know, I, I think they're 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 working towards building a pretty good team, but. Uh, I'm not worried about it because I think the Tiger Cats are are a better team. The Argos are building the best team that 2016 has ever seen. Unfortunately for them, it's 2021. I think the Argos will be significantly better this year. Um, And I'm not going to get into the salary cap implications because I honestly don't care about teams going over. I used to. I used to be like one of those guys who like the riders would go over the cap or, or the owls go over the cap and I'd be like, oh, they're cheating and blah, 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 blah. And then it just hit me one day where I was like, it's not a, ca- it's not a hard cap. It is essentially a luxury tax. So there's a certain number, five point whatever million it is. I can't remember the number off the top of my head. And then for a certain dollar, you, you pay dollar for dollar fine to a certain amount, and then you start losing draft picks. And quite frankly, if a team has an owner that's willing to cough up that money and willing to and a, a front office that's saying, you know what, it's worth it to give up a pick to, to sign these guys, do what you need to do. Don't care. I really, really don't care. In fact, I wish the Ticats all these years would have been over the cap to try to win a goddamn Grey Cup. Maybe our Grey Cup drought wouldn't be at 21 years if they would have gone over the cap. But they, I think they've only done it once, and the reason was given was I think it, uh, they had to give out too many bonuses because too many players made the All-Star team. Okay, cool. But to me, teams going over the cap, it's not a hard—this isn't the NFL, and I think that's the, the problem people get into— is they look at the two leagues they look at that have hard salary caps, the NHL and the NFL. And what are the two leagues that the CFL gets compared to most? The NHL because of Canada and the NFL because of football. But basketball has a salary cap, but it's it's a soft cap. It's a luxury tax system. So teams like we saw a few years ago, the Golden State Warriors had big money paid to Steph Curry, big money paid to Klay Thompson, big money paid to Draymond Green, and we're still able to sign Kevin Durant in free agency. It's like, how the hell is that possible? Well, yada, 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 you move money around. They go over the cap, but it's okay. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to do it in the CFL too. So anyone complaining about the Argos, quote-unquote, cheating, it doesn't amount to anything for me. And also, like you said, the money doesn't matter right now. Nothing counts. Like I think the Ticats probably have like 90 or 100 guys currently signed to their mm-hmm. roster. And if you go based just on league minimum, they're at the cap. But we also know that Jeremiah Mazzoli doesn't make league minimum and Brandon Banks and on and on down the list, guys are making more money. So every team right now, chances are, if you look at what their what the players' total contracts will be, every team's over the cap. The Argos are going to release some of these guys. Like to be perfectly honest with you, they have Charleston Hughes, Odell Willis, Cordero Law, Shane Ray, Eli Harold, and Coney Ely. That is six guys to play two positions. They're not keeping all those guys. Hughes probably, Law probably, Odell Willis. There wasn't mm-hmm. much fanfare when he was signed. I could see him getting cut. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like to me, you can sign as many guys as you want. But it, it, until the season starts, you actually have to start paying these guys. It doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, it's just it's just them bringing in a lot of talent to look at in mm-hmm. training camp, and yeah. uh, there's going to be some really talented guys that are going to be released. So, yeah, it's like I don't care who you bring into training camp; it's who you have on the field when the season starts. And then uh, the Argonauts have done a good job bringing in some some big names and some some talented dudes. So. Um, you know, I'm ex- I I like it when the Argonauts are you know a good rivalry with the Tiger Cats. You know, like when they have a decent team, when they have a good team, 
Um, I don't want them to beat the Tiger Cats, obviously, but I like that, you know, competition when both the Tiger Cats and the Argonauts are good teams. So that brings me to my second question for you, Mike, and it's, will all of these signings mean anything? And the reason I ask that is I look at what the Argos have done, and I, I you know, in jest say that's the best team 2016 ever produced. They still got to get by the Ticats. And to me, the Ticats are still the favorites in the East. To me, they're still the yep. favorites to win the and, Grey Cup. And don't forget the Alouettes, too. They're, they're a pretty good cool. team. Absolutely. But to me, the Ticats yep. are still the best of the best in the mm-hmm. CFL. What have the Ticats lost that makes you think that they're not going to be just as good as they were the last time we watched them play? To me, nothing. So the Argos can do all this, and it could amount to a 9-9 season and a third-place finish in the East. Maybe it means that there's less likely that a West team crosses over, but I don't see the Argos making all these moves and all of a sudden becoming a 12-13 win team and dethrone on the Ticats. Of course, that could happen. It's the CFL. We see teams go from garbage to great one year after the other all the time. But I look at the Cats and where they are, and I look at the Argos, and I just I think the games will be more competitive. I don't think we're getting a 64-14 to beatdown in 2021 like we did in 2019. But I don't think these signings really mean all that much in the grand scheme of things until we play ball and I see the Argos play. I'm still got the Ticats as a favorite in the East by a wide margin. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Argonauts have, like I said, it seems like five times already, but they've done a really good job bringing in talent. And, uh, but that talent doesn't mean that they're going to mesh and they're going to be a great team. You know, you can bring in a guy from the NFL like uh, Martavius Bryant, who, who played really well when he had his opportunity in the NFL, but that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as we've seen in the past a million times, having an NFL name doesn't mean you're going to succeed in the CFL. Um, players have trouble adjusting to the league or they just don't take it seriously and then get cut in training camps. So, um, yeah, to me, the, the Tiger Cats, just because they brought back all those players from, all, you know, a, 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 you know a, a team that went to the Grey Cup, you know, didn't win it, obviously, as we know, but uh, I think that the cohesion and the, bringing back all those guys that know each other who are already a team, just puts them above the Argonauts by by a pretty large margin at this point. Well, and here's one thing. It's just a little nugget that I, I dug up. The last time the Argos won a Grey Cup in the same year that the Ticats made the playoffs was 2004. The last two times the Argos won the Grey Cup, 2012 and 2017, the one thing that was the same both years, Ticats didn't make the playoffs that year. So if you're an Argos fan, you're thinking, we can win the Grey Cup. Well, do you think the Ticats are missing the playoffs? Because if they're not, you're not getting to the Grey Cup. So I'm just going to nope. drop that little nugget there, and we can move on. Because we're talking about the Grey Cup a little bit, and I think we both will have our money on the Ticats. And if Bill C218 passes, which I believe it will, we'll soon be able to actually legally bet in Canada on CFL games Conservative MP from Saskatchewan, Kevin Waugh, put forth a private member's bill that would legalize single-game sports betting in Canada. It was uh, it passed its second reading overwhelmingly in the House of Commons back on February 17th with 303 votes for and just 15 votes against. It now moves to the committee stage. I believe it goes to the Justice Committee, if I'm not mistaken, before moving on to the Senate and then getting royal assent by the Governor General. It doesn't feel like this is going to slow down. Uh, I'm talking to a friend of mine who's really into... Uh, sports betting and gambling and has been following this closely believes that this could be in place by around July, maybe August. 
and that by September there could be sports books opened up in casinos in various provinces. So, Mike, what do you think about this? You're you're you've been known to to put a few shekels down on some football games. What do you think of the idea of actually being able to legally bet on Canadian football league games in Canada? I think it's it's kind of awesome. What do you think? I think it's great too. Um, it's another revenue stream for the league and. You know, anyone who's followed the CFL for an amount of time knows that they need every revenue stream they can get. Um, not that we're on desk doorstep or anything, but, uh, you know, we've had our struggles over the years and it and it continues in certain markets and all that stuff. So any way you can bring in money is, is a good thing. And, you know, sports betting, it seems it's everywhere now. You know, it's getting more and more popular, more and more mainstream. And obviously there's dangers to gambling, but uh, people need to, you know, just take some personal responsibility and make sure it doesn't get out of hand. But if you can, you know, it just makes things more interesting for people. You know, even if it's like $5 on uh, on a prop bet or $10 on a prop bet, you know, you, it just, it makes people watch the games. It makes people watch to the end to see if they win or lose their bet. Um, I think the ratings will go up, which is a good thing for the league because maybe if the ratings go up, they get more money from TSN on the next contract talks. It just, I think it's going to be a snowball effect in a good way for the CFL to get legal sports gambling into Canada. Well, the NFL is as big as it is for two reasons. One is betting on games and two mm-hmm. is fantasy football, which is just a different way of betting on games. You're betting on players yeah. instead of instead of games themselves. I think those are the two of the biggest reasons why the NFL is the biggest sports league in North America and one of the biggest sports leagues in the world. We've seen a lot of people come out in support of this. Glenn Suter came out, and I don't often agree with Glenn Suter, but he says this could be a boon to the CFL, and I think he's right. And our buddy at 3Down, John Hodge, came out with a great piece talking about how the CFL can capitalize on this with things like allowing fans to bet on stuff in the stadium during the games and how it could be that could be a great way to attract sort of younger fans. You could make bets on, on things and win prizes, not just money. But think about it. If you Every quarter they do a over under, or you got to predict how many passing yards and the closest to without going over. You know what I mean? Like there could be so many different things, and everyone throws in five bucks and and you win a signed jersey, or you win a signed football, or you win a, a hundred dollar gift card to the store. How many people in that twenty five thousand? Or like you go to Edmonton, if there's thirty thousand people at a game, how many of those people would put five bucks down each game? And yeah, it's not a ton of money, but five bucks from 15,000 people every game mm-hmm. adds up to a little bit more money for every team. And I think that could be a lot of fun. I think it, it could be a really cool way to sort of engage people during the games who are on their phones anyway. A lot of people are tweeting at games or they're checking their phones. Now they have a reason to check their phones to do something that's actually happening at the game. And it, it could be a great way to get some extra revenue for teams. I, I think, it's, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, a, it's a really great idea. I think this could be something that changes how – fans watch the CFL and I think it could engage a younger audience. I also think it could engage a larger audience. I think people being able to bet on stuff makes them more engaged in the product. Yep, absolutely. And it could bring sponsorships from uh, different sports books and yep. all that stuff. Casinos, so, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't go to casinos very often, but it'd be definitely more appealing to go to a casino and sit down at the bar and watch the CFL game. If I'm, uh, if I got 10 or 20 bucks on it. Right. So um, I don't see how this is a bad thing for the CFL. I think it's only going to bring more money and uh, more prosperity to the league. Yeah, I agree. I think the only caveat I'll have here... Now, Randy Ambrosi did sign a letter along with the other commissioners of the major leagues that are in Canada saying they wanted this to move forward. But one of the things that I think he 
and the board of governors and the teams will have to implement is they'll have to be much more open with their roster. I made yep. this point on Twitter and got into an argument with someone about it where they brought up, I don't know, it was it was silly. But Haji also pointed this out on his three-down piece, and it's that the CFL needs to be more open with like what players are doing. Are they are they actually hurt? Will they be playing mm-hmm. in a game? Because that a diff, that sets lines that like when when you go to bet on an NFL game, if you don't know if the starting quarterback's going to play, sometimes there's no line for that game, or the line gets moved. Like you need that transparency to be able to have people to bet on games. If 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 the CFL continues to be this secretive about it. People are going to hesitate to bet on to bet on it because it's mm-hmm. like, well, if I yeah. don't know if the star receiver or the star linebacker or the star quarterback is going to play, I'm not plopping down a hundred bucks on a game. No. Like no. if Bo no. Levi Mitchell's no, no. not going to play, I'm not putting down money on the stamps to win. You know what I mean? And if no. you don't know going into the game whether he's going to play or not, that that's going to hurt the ability for fans it's to a, bet on stuff. So they yeah. need to be they they basically the CFL needs to come into the 21st century and start embracing this what other sports leagues already do, most notably the NFL, in having this sort of secrecy and and oh we're, we're hold, withholding this information to give ourselves an advantage get that out of there become more open and honest and then i think you'll see the betting just explode yeah you got to have that information out there you just do or you, people aren't going to you know people's money is very important to them obviously and they're not going to put their money down if if they don't know that uh, you know the quarterback is out or if he's playing or if he's he's slightly injured or or, or whatever and another thing they need to do is Implement a proper fantasy hundred um, percent. That's right. You know, like, I was going to bring it up next. Yeah, I'm glad you yeah. brought it up. Yeah, you got it, man. You you just got it because even more important to younger fans than you know betting on the games themselves, you know, point spread or or the winner or or whatever is fantasy football. I mean, that's massive in the NFL, and they need to have a proper website involved where you can you know not this weekly stuff because no one likes that no um you want to draft you, a team we, play in a league yeah. and meet your friends right like we did with the fantasy say yeah uh, was awesome. which was a great website and we had a, a ton of fun doing that and i miss it immensely so um they need to figure out how to put together a website that uh, you can do a draft and and do it properly i am in a number of nfl fantasy leagues and one of the ones i do uses espn but espn's is on in Canada, it's basically TSN. Like you log in and it gives you a bunch of TSN stuff. Just copy, just your, your partners with them anyway. Just take their engine and use it for the CFL. Like it shouldn't be that difficult. No. But no. The, I, and you, I'm, like, I'm just so glad that you brought up fantasy football because that was one of, one of the points I wanted to make is the reason that CFL fantasy football hasn't taken off the way it should have is twofold. You bring up the, the non- head-to-head format that doesn't exist out there for as a uh, outside of once fantasy kind of bit bit the bucket there was no other option to play cfl fantasy other than this one where you have a certain amount of money and you build your a different team each week and like you said no one wants to do that's not fun you want to draft players you want to smack talk with your friends you want to have to make trades like that's the essence of, of the fun of fantasy football but you can't do proper fantasy football if you don't have the information of if a player is going to play or not. Could you imagine going into a week and you have, I'll use Bo Levi Mitchell as an example again. He he was one of your top picks in the draft because he's probably the top fantasy quarterback. Okay, I'm going to have Bo Levi Mitchell. I don't know if he's going to play. I can't set my roster. You know what? And because there's so few teams in the CFL, it's not like you have the option of, oh, well, if Bo's not going to play, well, I'll stash 
like in the NFL, it's like, oh, if I have Russell Wilson and he's, he's dealing with injury, okay, I'll pick up the quarterback for who's ever playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, stash him on my bench. And if he does, if, if Russell Wilson doesn't play, I can put someone else in the lineup. You got to basically then pick up Calgary's backup quarterback. And you know what I mean? Like it's just, yep. it's just silly. The CFL needs to embrace these things. And I'm hoping that if they embrace gambling, that it will lead to fantasies because I would love nothing more than for you and I to start a Podsky fantasy league, get some of our listeners together. We all play in fantasy. We talk about it. We, we smack talk each other and we ultimately I win and hold it over everybody because that's what I do. Um, that, that would be fun to me to interact with people. And that, that's, that's the essence of watching sports. It's fun to do those things. And the CFL is not only losing money, but losing people's interest by not having that. And it's just, it's so simple. And it's so you and I, two idiots can figure this out. Why can't they? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's not that big of a, you know, hurdle to get over Right. I mean, I was, yeah, like you said, like just copy what the ESPN website is. Like, I don't understand why they haven't done this in the past. They, they have to know how big fantasy football is in the NFL. And yeah, it will never be, be as big as the NFL fantasy stuff just because, you know, the scope of the NFL and mm-hmm. the number of teams and, and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it would just help the league immensely um, yeah, to yeah. have a solid <laughs> website that you can go to and uh, do the draft and, you know, have your league. Um, it, it just makes sense. Well, and, and even if it, even if it's not something that the league can make money off of by like charging people a fee to use or whatever, it still gets people interested in your product. And that leads to people mm-hmm. going to games and watching games and buying merchandise. The, like I know that you have a collection of CFL jerseys outside of tie cat stuff because you've accumulated some over the years. I don't own a single piece. Oh no, that's not true. I have two pieces of paraphernalia that aren't tie cats related for the CFL. I have a Darrell Walker bobblehead from the Argos because I went to their home opener in 2019, the one where the Cats won 64 to 14. They were giving them away. I took one because why the hell not? It's a souvenir. It now mm-hmm. now that he doesn't play there anymore, it's kind of funny. But I, I have that. And I have uh, a collector's cup, of an Argos collector's cup, because when you go to BMO Field to watch a game and you get a large drink, they put it in a collector's cup. Now, the Ticat should do that because that would be fr- – I, I think I paid like 8 bucks for it and you get like free refills with this like giant cup. I might have only used it once to get the first drink, but it's like, oh, it's a collector's cup. That's cool. If the Ticats did that, I I would love to have that. So, like, I, I think I've lost my point. Oh, I, the CFL stuff. That's what it was. Um, I have a number of NFL jerseys from teams that aren't the team I cheer for because of fantasy football, because I had LaDainian Tomlinson and the year he scored 31 touchdowns, because I had Calvin Johnson, because I had Adrian Peterson. It's like, oh, I'm going to watch games. I'm cheer- I still cheer for my favorite team. But but there's so many other games going on. I'm also cheering for the Lions. I hope Calvin Johnson has 300 yards against the Falcons this week. You know what I mean? Like it, it gets you invested in games that just don't involve your team, and that I think would lead to more people watching the games and people like us. Like sometimes it's like, oh man, there's a game on at 10 o'clock. It's too late for me here to watch. I'm going to bed. If it was me and you in a fantasy game, and I had. Yeah. You know, Mike Riley up. going against uh, against Saskatchewan's defense, I would be more inclined to, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay this up because I'm going to start smack-talking Mike when Mike Riley goes for 350 and four tugs. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, I think I for the CFL to be this deep into the fantasy football era of sports or the fantasy era of sports in general and to not have this head-to-head, like th- basically what is the standard across fantasy sports everywhere is to me one of their biggest missteps that they've done in the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just have to get more involved with it. And now that, 
you know, the single game betting is is going to be legal, and the, you know, uh, sports gambling is more in your face and more mainstream. They need to get on the trolley and uh, uh, figure it out and just make it happen. It's not going to it's not going to be that difficult. And I don't understand why they haven't been haven't had a website already. It, it's it won't cost that much money, and it'll just drive the interest up and up and up. Indeed it will. And the more CFL interest there is, the better it is for the league and the better it is for us because we'll have more stuff to talk yeah. about and more fun to have. And the bigger the CFL gets, maybe the better more it is people for will, Maybe more people will be listening. You know, it's sport, maybe sports gambling. You know, some guy who puts a bet on the Hamilton Tiger Cats and, uh, hey, there's a podcast, Podskiwiwi. Let's, let's see what these guys have to say. You know yeah. what I mean? So and, it helps everybody. It helps everybody. Uh, Ticats Great Cup flashback, Mike. Uh, what's the status on the next episode? I gotta, I gotta look. I gotta uh, get into that Grey Cup portal and uh, yeah, because isn't that game up? You're doing game. what, sixty three or sixty five? Sixty five next, right? Sixty five now. That is, one's is up the there, isn't one. it? What's that? Isn't that on the Grey yeah, Cup? Yeah, should portal? be. It should be up there. They just put up the uh, the seventies, the seventies game. So yeah, it's up there. I just gotta watch it and make my notes and make my script, and then uh, hopefully within the next month, uh, I'll, I'll get that out to the to the public. I'm wondering if we've talked a lot about 67 and obviously 72 was the one that cats won in Hamilton. Maybe we should put it out there and see if anyone would be interested in a watch along because it's available. Everyone could watch along with us and we provide like, I don't know, that might be boring for a three hour football game. I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking maybe you and I, because those are two games, two tie cats teams that we've talked a lot about. Wondering if maybe we should do an episode like I, you do. You do your Great Cup flashback thing. Maybe we should do a, a little longer episode on those ones where we kind of watch the game and talk about it. And I don't That'd know. Very, those are two two cool. of the more important ones I think in Tie Cats history. Yeah, absolutely. The '67 and the '72. You know, '72 obviously because they were at home and '67 uh, is the greatest Tie Cats team of all time. I think outside of yeah. 2019, if they would have won the Great Cup. Yeah, and it, and it's nice to have that option to watch it on uh, on the Great Cup portal instead of trying to find it on YouTube or something like that. Um, yeah, that would that was that was a good idea by the CFL to put that out there. Absolutely, and, you know, know we give it a lot of history. Guff, but yeah, yeah, you know, you, we don't hear much, we don't see enough uh, film from from past Grey Cups, and, and the history of the league needs to be, you know, put out there more often. So, uh, thumbs up to them for that. Yeah, hopefully, this is the start of putting more classic content out there because uh, I think another reason the NFL's been as popular as it is was nfl films gave you those Absolutely. like i remember as a kid watching those like blooper videos uh hosted by oh what was his name oh it was a comedian i can't remember who it was now but he was really funny and i remember just watching my grandfather had a bunch of these videos and that's kind of what got me really into football is watching these sort of nfl films blooper videos and i think this the cfl having something similar or finally embracing stuff like that i think could be another again another avenue for revenue and and getting people's interest in the game up, I, I think some of the classic content would be uh would be really big with with us, especially as uh, the older segment of the fan base. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, I don't know where I saw it, and I don't know if I dreamt this, but I remember seeing a 90, 1998 Grey Cup Tiger Cats and the the Stampeders. There was like an NFL Films type deal with that really? with that game. I remember seeing it. And I've never seen it again since, so maybe I dreamt it, but I just remember watching that Archie Amison play where he goes between the two defenders and the, they hit each other. And it was like just like NFL films, but uh, obviously with the Grey Cup. So I don't know if anyone's out there that remembers that, uh, let me know because it, it might have just been a dream of mine. But 
I, I just, I always wanted that for the CFL, you know, watching NFL films back in the day, wanting to see something like that for like a Grey Cup game or something like that, because it just, NFL films are just so well done. Yep. So cool. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and, and classic content is always, I think people like to dig into the history of stuff. I really do. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, I think this Grey Cup portal has been a fantastic idea and I hope at some point they, they find a way to expand on it and maybe get us some, some classic games of the past as well. And, I don't know. We'll, we'll wait. Maybe the CFL is heading in the right direction. Sports betting is going to be legal. Maybe they'll get fantasy football up. We could be headed for a really good time in the CFL if a 21, 2021 season happens, which I think we all have our fingers crossed that it will. So that was Podski BB for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.